You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And uh, as you turn there, I want to encourage you, if you're at home, open a Bible Make sure you're opening a Bible and looking at the words of God. And then if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to stand in, uh, re- out of respect of the reading of God's Word. And uh, just so that we take note of it, we give special attention to it. And I think it's biblical uh, to do so. And I encourage you to stand if you can. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Although 1 is really just, uh, it's not in the context of the message but it does, uh, it's, since it's included in the first part of the chapter, we'll begin reading there. But our focus really is in 2 through 6. So we'll begin reading in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, and read down through verse 6. It says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also, or for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Some good instruction, instruction from the Apostle Paul here in this chapter, just simple instruction, and really this is going to be more of a simple message, a more instructive message, one that I think, though, could be a help to us. Many of the messages I've been preaching the last few weeks have been uh, more assurance-type messages or help-type messages, encouragement-type messages. This one is really more instructive. And I do believe we come to the place where we've gotten some comfort, we've gotten some help, but we cannot forget our obligations as God's people. And one of those obligations Paul is asking prayer for in this passage, we'll be looking at that tonight. Thank you for standing. Out of respect of God's word, you can be seated. One interesting effect that I believe has come from the COVID-19 pandemic is an appreciation for the things we once took for granted. Have you noticed how there are certain things that you used to do all the time, things that you hardly ever even thought about, you just did them, and now that you can't do them, it's, much, it's hard to think about. You don't take them for granted anymore because they're no longer available. Uh, my, my wife and I were driving and And uh, she said something along the lines of, oh, I wish I could just go eat some good Mexican food again. And, And I think that we've all had that sentiment. There are certain things that we used to do all the time. There are things that just happened and you could just do them. You could just leave your house anytime. You know, this is a novel idea. You could just leave your house anytime you wanted to. You could go to the restaurant of your choice. You sit down, you eat a meal and just enjoy it. We take that for granted though now that we can't do those simple things. Leaving the house is something we used to take for granted, and you can't just do it any time now without thinking about where you're going. 
Just going where you want, when you want. I'm thinking about those that have their kids in school, just sending your kids to school, something you were so used to doing and now you can't do it anymore. They're at home and, and we're praying for you brand new homeschooling moms these days. I'm thinking about things like finding toilet paper. For a while, especially, it was difficult to find any and it's still very hard to find hand sanitizer. I was talking to Judy just today. We're we're thinking about the plans whenever we begin to, to work back into um, in-person services. And we've been looking for hand sanitizer and you can't find it. I mean, I don't even know. I, we, we found a recipe that includes gasoline. Not sure how, how effective that's going to be, but maybe it'll make you feel better when you wash your hands in it. No, I'm kidding about that. We, we have been looking at recipes, just ways to find hand sanitizer. And, and I would encourage you, by the way, if you have access to things like that or, or things like masks... Um, then the, the, it would be helpful to know if you have resources uh, because we will be looking into some of those things as we make our way back. You know, just finding certain food or going to certain restaurants or just traveling when you want to, it's just not the same as it used to be. There are more serious things, though, that, that we used to take for granted and now we probably don't as much. Things like going to work for some of you. Having a steady job, as many have found if, if they've lost their job, it, it's not something you take for granted anymore. Having financial security. Uh, those of you with retirement accounts, having, having good retirement accounts. I mean, it very likely the, the economy's uh, current condition has affected those retirement accounts for some. You took it for granted for a long time, and now it's not there. I mean, just, just waking up and living without fear. Having health security. Just spending time with your family. And, and if, for those of you that have relatives that are older or relatives that are higher risk and you haven't been able to talk to them or those that have family members in nursing homes or in re, re, retirement or assisted living, uh, you can't even go visit them like you used to do. Things that we once took for granted. And it's also happening spiritually. Just going to church is not the same as it used to be. And I am praying that God would help us to see that we grew complacent potentially to God's house in the months or years leading up to all of this happening. And I'm praying and I believe that God can do this, that when we come back, that God's people would have a more serious commitment to being at God's house every time the doors are open. Because now that it's been taken away, you don't take it for granted as much as you used to. Just being around your church family. I mean, sometimes when, when people come to the building during the week and I see faces that I haven't seen in a few weeks, I almost want to cry. I, I, it just does my heart good to see people. It's been a long time and I miss them. The fellowship that takes place, you take that for granted. The convenience of giving, I took for granted. You know, Paul had mentioned something else here in Colossians 4 that I have no doubt that many of God's people have taken for granted. And I want you to look at verse 3. It says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. You know what he's talking about? He's praying that the people of Colossae, asking the people of Colossae to pray for doors for, to open for him to give out the gospel, to speak the gospel to other people. Well, why, do, why does he need prayer for that? Well, look at the end of the verse. It says, For which... I am also in bonds. See, Paul is writing this letter right now from Rome and a prison. He's under house arrest and he's unable to leave his location. And that may sound familiar to some of us even right now. 
You know, what I find interesting is what he's concerned about. He's not pulling his hair out because he can't find hand sanitizer. He's not frustrated that he can't eat out at his favorite places. He's not even talking about his need for finances. What is Paul concerned about here? He is concerned about the souls of those around him and his responsibility to share the gospel. He's asking the church in Colossae to pray for doors to open. Because here's why. It used to be that he could just walk into a city and go into a synagogue and start teaching about Jesus Christ. And he can't do it that way anymore because now he's in prison. And something that he may have at one time taken for granted, he no longer does because he doesn't have the same doors open. Does that mean he just gives up and says, well, you know, it's not possible right now, so I'm not going to make an effort. Not at all. Because the priority of the gospel has not changed. It just looks different. And folks, the door to present the gospel, as we always have, are very largely closed right now. We can't do it the way that we always have. We can't meet at the church on a Thursday night and take a map and just go knock on people's doors anymore, at least for right now. We can't take a handful of tracks after an evening service and say, I'm going to pass out five or ten of these this week to people that I come across. Personal contact is limited now. Social distancing is being encouraged. Knocking on someone's door right now wouldn't be well received. In other words, something that we have taken for granted, the giving of the gospel has been taken away from us. And I believe that this is an easy thing to get complacent about. The command of giving the gospel, the Great Commission, this is something that we have very often, at least in my own life, and I, and I think it's true here at Eastside as well to some degree, that we have taken for granted the ability to share the gospel with somebody. And I say the signs for that would be the participation in our outreach, the participation in our visitation to this point has been a relatively small number compared to the whole. And listen, I'm not saying that's rare. I'm not saying that that is uh, just a, an Eastside Baptist Church thing. I believe it's something that tends to happen because of human nature. And that is that we take for granted the opportunities and the freedom that we have to do those kinds of things because they've always been available. You just assume that it's, it's going to be available because it always has been. But now that they're not, I do believe that God has given us a wake-up call. In some ways, it's a gift. Last week, we pre I preached about a lesson in isolation or a lesson from isolation and how God had to get Jacob alone and teach him instead of wrestling against God that he needed, once the resources that he had were gone, he now had to cling to God rather than fight against God for his own will. There are some important lessons to be learned from isolation. And I believe this is kind of another lesson from isolation. That when you get into isolation, those things that were once available to you and they were once just readily there and not like an opportunity to give the gospel, now that it's taken away, you start to realize how much you took for granted. How much now that you cannot, you cannot do it anymore, that you were complacent to the opportunity to something like sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that this time of isolation, we are learning another lesson from isolation and that we should no longer take for granted the ability to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. When things get back to the new normal, whatever it looks like, folks, Eastside Baptist Church, 
there, we ought to have a long line of people standing in line saying, I will be the first to be involved in giving out the gospel again. Because once it's taken from you, you realize how complacent you were and how much you took for granted the opportunity to just hand somebody a tract and invite them to church. Listen, this is not an optional calling. Rather than say, well, we can't do anything about it now, so I'm not going to put any effort in until we get a chance. No, we must be like Paul, and we must seek for new doors, new ways to be involved with presenting the gospel. Souls are still dying. People are still headed to eternity somewhere. That's why one of the reasons that I've been encouraging people, and I really believe it's something we can still do. You, can't, you may not be able to hand a tract and somebody feel very comfortable with it, but you can get online and you can review our church. Talk about our church in, a, in the setting that people are reading right now, and that is online. Get on Google and, and review the church. Let people know about Eastside. Get on Facebook and review the church. And I know that seems like a small thing or maybe even a silly thing, or to some an unnecessary thing. But listen, there are doors that are open that we're not taking for grant, advantage of, and I want to make sure that we are thinking about ways that we can be involved. This, the need for the gospel is not diminished just because the opportunities have. It doesn't mean that the need has gone away. As a matter of fact, I believe that the need for the gospel right now is even more important, and I do believe that people could potentially be more open to the gospel because of the circumstances. People are thinking about life and death right now. They're thinking about spiritual things. And yes, there are hindrances. But rather than throw in the towel, let's choose to be like Paul and find out how to increase the effect of the gospel even when there are hindrances. He didn't throw in the towel because he was in prison. And we shouldn't stop with our efforts simply because things look different for us. I'm going to give you very simply tonight three simple ways to increase the effect of the gospel. The first is found in verses 2 through 4 in your text. And if you want to write these down, uh, I don't always have a good outline, but I think this could be a helpful outline tonight. The first thing that we can do to help to increase the effect of the gospel is to pray expectantly. To pray expectantly. Look at verse uh, 2. It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue means to be persistent. It means to hold fast and not let go. And folks, we should be persistent when we pray. If you, I, we just got a, a new puppy that, that our family did and we were one of those that gave in to the temptation during the isolation to go buy a dog. So we got a little puppy and um, a little terrier. Her name is Oakley. And she's already very passionate about a rope that we have, a toy rope. And you're at a, she's at a point where she latched onto that rope, and you take that rope and swing her around you, and she'll hold on for dear life. Even a couple times I've lifted it off the ground, and she's holding on for dear life. She clamps on so tightly that you can swing her around, and she won't let go. And I, it's a silly and a fun thing to watch for that little puppy. But it reminds me of how God's people ought to pray. We ought to pray that doggedly. That, can, that persistently. We ought to be so determined that we refuse to let go of the way that God can work through the gospel. I think of Ephesians 6.18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Well, that verse really gives you the idea that prayer is important and we ought to be persistent in our prayers for open doors when it comes to the gospel. Don't pray once, 
pray continually. And he says, pray continue in prayer and watch in the same. And that word watch means to stay alert. It literally means that we ought to stay awake and not fall asleep during prayer. And what he's saying is that we ought to be serious when we pray. So be persistent when we pray. Be serious when we pray. Figuratively, watch means to be on the lookout for things for which to pray for. And that's the opposite of complacency. Complacency, which is what I believe many of God's people have turned to in the, in the days leading up to this. Complacency is kind of sleepiness. You're not really paying attention. You're not being vigilant. But we should be, uh, we should be serious enough when we pray to be on the lookout, um, to be deliberate in our prayer. Paul basically is saying be grateful when you pray as well. He says watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now, our prayer life should always be sprinkled with an attitude of thankfulness. And here's why I believe that gratitude is important in our prayer lives. Because the more that you stop and thank God for, the more that your faith increases of what he's done for you before, and the more you believe he can do it for you again. And I believe that's an important point that I made on Sunday morning, in, in that there's God's works and God's word. It is good for us to, to consider the works that God has done And as we consider what he's done for us in the past, then we believe that he can do it for us again in the future. Gratitude's very important in prayer. But I I really think the most important word here is continue. Be persistent. Paul knew that the gospel work begins with prayer. He expected something when he prayed. You, You don't get the sense this is lip service. And sometimes a prayer request can be that, you know, oh yeah, I just thought of something, just throw it out there. No, God, Paul expects God to answer his requests. Do we pray with expectation? Do we, do we assume that, if God, that God will answer this? And if God has done it before, he'll do it again. If more of God's people will assume that he will, I think we would pray differently. What else does Paul pray for or ask for prayer for? Look at verse 3. He says, With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. He was requesting prayer for opportunities to preach the gospel. A door of utterance. This is where Paul makes it clear that new doors have to be opened because the old ones are closed. Paul was bound. He, he's a prisoner. And being a prisoner, it hindered his life's work of preaching. But, but understand... Paul was so concerned or compelled to preach that that this could not stop him. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. What's interesting is that he's not asking for circumstances to change. And usually when we pray, the first thing we ask for is for God to take this away or to remove this or change this or bring this in. We ask for a change of circumstances But that's not what Paul asked for. No, he asked for opportunities to do what he's called to do in his present circumstances. And right now, maybe it's not the time to ask that God changes our circumstances, but that maybe he gives you an opportunity to present the gospel because it's his plan for you to work through the circumstances you're in so that he can receive more glory. Maybe he has a door of utterance that he wants to open for you, but because you have have simply assumed he can't work because things are different, that you've missed some opportunities. How often our prayers are, are focused on change the circumstance, but we should be praying, give me opportunities to serve you in these circumstances. Paul didn't pray for, for the prison doors to open. He prayed for open doors 
while he was in prison. His determination for the gospel was incredible. I mean, think about all the trials Paul went through. His persecution and his threats, the shipwrecks and the beatings, none of them stopped him from preaching the gospel. And Right now, there are a lot of closed doors, but I believe there could be plenty of new open doors. But it takes a heart for souls and expectant prayer. Have you been praying for doors to open for the gospel through this trial? Have you been expecting God to move through this trial? Paul understood expectant prayer is the key that unlocks gospel doors. People's hearts are prepared through prayer. And you might say, well, there's nothing I can do right now. I can't even give out a track. But you could pray for people's hearts. You could pray for the unsaved that through all of this, they come to the end of themselves and God softens their hearts so that when someone finally does have the freedom to hand them a track or knock on their door and invite them to church again, that their heart will be ready. Divine appointments to witness are arranged through prayer. Hearts are softened through prayer. The ability to speak the right words is enabled through prayer. And right now, you may not have an open door to present the gospel, but you can get on your knees and you can pray for God to work in people's hearts even right now. Maybe pray that the circumstances grow so heavy that they say, I've got nowhere to turn. And maybe because I've never given God a hearing, it's time to look to Him. And it could be that you're the first person that talks to them about the Lord when everything is over. And they'll be ready. The work of the gospel begins on our knees. When's the last time you made the work of the gospel a meaningful part of your prayer life? If not... It's no wonder that just a few have been involved in outreach. It's no wonder that so few have responded during invitation at times. It's no wonder that so few of our attempts to invite have, have not taken or, or, or so few of our attempts to invite have taken root. It's no wonder that, that we avoid invitation time. It's no wonder that our family members. Uh, they ignore our request to come to church. And it's no wonder that co-workers never seem to soften. Have you, ever take, have you taken the work of the gospel and the condition of that soul before God in prayer with the determination to hold on and not let go? You can't do a lot right now, folks, but you can pray. Maybe this is our wake-up call. God's trying to get us to see the importance of expectant prayer and the, in the work of the gospel. I mean, if the message of the gospel is not bathed in prayer of God's people, expectant prayer, don't expect those closed doors to start opening. And you could say, well, I don't have any open doors right now, but you can be involved in the most important work of the gospel. Even under house arrest, you can pray. See, right now, you can pray. Today, you can pray we may not be able to, to hand out a track, but we can pray for the gospel's effect on souls. We, we can't engage in the same activity of the gospel, but the most important work has always been prayer, and that's always available. God's always worked the most when doors seem to be closed. I wonder if he's just waiting for a harvest of souls to be reaped. But it's all dependent on whether or not his people will pray expectantly or not. So the first thing that we ought to do to impact the effect of the gospel is pray expectantly. 
The second point tonight that I want to make, and these next two are much shorter, is to walk carefully. So pray expectantly, but second, walk carefully. Look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom. That word walk, it refers to our conduct, how we carry ourselves, our manner of life. And Paul is saying that we need to conduct our lives with wisdom. Well, where do we get that wisdom? We get it from God's word. The life of the child of God should reflect the wisdom of God. Everything about your life should point to the truth of God's word. And you say, well, I don't understand why no one's paying attention to me. But that's not what Paul says. Paul actually says that the world walk in wisdom toward them that are without. In other words, the world is watching. They're taking notes. Those that are without means the lost. The lost see what we are. And many times their response to the gospel is directly dependent on what they've seen in the lives of someone who calls themselves a Christian. Very often, the world's response to the gospel is dependent on what they've seen in the lives of somebody that calls themselves a Christian. Matthew 5, you say, well, I don't know about that. I think the gospel is really all. No, how we live confirms it or denies it. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our works impact the lost souls. It impacts those without. And if we consistently walk in wisdom, those without notice, those without the lost, they see it. Folks, your level of calmness or anxiety right now is being noticed by those without. Your attitude toward, toward the situation is noticed by those without. And I think about all that's going on with our government. Uh, even our attitude toward our government's decisions is being noticed. And, and listen, I'm not saying that I agree with everything that our government is doing. Uh, I do believe that I, I, I trust uh, at least our, our mayor and our government. They're doing the best they can. I believe they have good intentions, although I don't agree with everything that's happening. But listen, if you as a Christian spend more time complaining about our authorities than praying for our authorities, then I'm not sure that you fully understand your biblical role as a child of God. Does that mean you have to agree with everything they're doing? Absolutely not. But you should spend at least equal parts time in prayer for them than you do complaining about them. We need to lift them up to the Lord. Ask God to give them wisdom. Not only are we to submit according to Romans 13, but we're to pray for our authorities. Paul wrote. Now listen, we have to be careful because our conduct right now either points people toward or away from God. Your trust in God's sovereignty in these difficult times, it's being watched. Your neighbors are taking note. Your lost family members are watching. Folks, the things that you post on social media reflect on your God. Be careful about just putting something out there in a moment of frustration or a moment of anger Be careful because people are watching. According to Paul, the people without are taking note. Those without see it and they make conclusions about God based on our conduct. So walk in wisdom. If our lives reflect the same things that their lives do, they're thinking, why do I need what they have? What draws them to something different? If we're the same as they are, if our attitude is the same, if if our activity is the same, if our responses to things are the same, If you're walking in wisdom, Paul says, and this is a very important term, and I wish I could spend more time, but he says it's redeeming the time. 
That's the, basically what he's saying is the way that you walk in wisdom toward those that are without is, the, is how you'll make best use of your time while you're here on earth. Best use of the opportunity you have. We all have 70, maybe 80 or 90 year window to make the most of our lives. Some shorter than that, some longer than that. And I believe we have an opportunity right now that few generations have ever been able to go through. I believe this is a window of time and, and God is watching to see if his people take advantage of it or not. You're in isolation, but it doesn't mean you stop the work. It doesn't mean you have to not, you, have, you know how long I have to be a Christian if I can get it out. It doesn't mean that you can just stop you know, doing what you're supposed to do. No, you are supposed to redeem the time no matter how hard it is, no matter how dark it is, no matter how many uh, it, circumstances go against you, you are always to redeem the time to make the most of the opportunity. And I believe that we'll look back, back on this, this window, this slice of time, and say, boy, I sure missed an opportunity to show God's light to a world that is without. Uh, to show God's light uh, what, what they could have in a relationship with God. According to Paul, you can redeem the time even in isolation. Don't miss this moment. It's big. It's, it matters. It's no time for complacency. And I believe it's time for some of God's people to stop and pray and say, God, how can I make the best use of my time right now? Maybe you need to start writing Maybe you need to start reading your Bible more. Maybe it's time to get into a better prayer routine. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something that you can do to improve yourself that would help further God's kingdom and you can get creative. I'm just encouraging you to redeem the time. Don't let it be wasted. So we must pray expectantly and walk carefully. And third and finally, we should speak deliberately. Speak deliberately. Number three, in verse 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Our words should be full of grace. You know, the word grace is interesting in that it's something that God gives us that we certainly don't deserve. But it also, in this context, it, it's that which affords joy, or that which brings pleasure, or delight, or sweetness, or loveliness. And, and, and Paul is saying that our speech should be seasoned with grace. So I want to ask you, look around the world, and you tell me how often do you spot those with speech that's full of kindness? How often do you see those with words that bring joy and sweetness and delight? Words or tone. Not just the words, but the tone of voice that leads to joy. You know, there are some places you're not going to find kind and gracious speech right now. If you turn on the news, you'll likely not see kind, gracious, joy-inducing speech. If you, if you watch any press conferences, uh, the exchanges between the media and the president, it's shameful at times. And I hate that that stuff goes on, uh, but you're not going to find it in a press conference. You're not going to find it on talk radio, likely. You're not going to find it on social media, unfortunately. You're not going to even be able to find it in Walmart lines because you feel like you can't talk to anybody in Walmart lines. So where are you going to find words and where are you going to find a tone that's seasoned with grace that causes joy? Well, those without the, the lost, the world, they need encouraging speech right now. And if they don't hear it from God's people, where are they going to find it? Where are they going to hear words that help them 
or a tone that helps them. There are few things more helpful right now than the right words and the right tone at the right time. I was reading Proverbs 16, 24. It says, pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. I appreciate letters and calls and texts I get from people and one that I am especially thankful for at times or all the time is uh, Ms. Marlis. Those of you that know Ms. Marlis know that she's really good at writing letters and writing thank you notes. You know, I've got some in my office and sometimes I just pull them out and I read them again. It means a lot to me to hear the words that she says in encouragement that's written down on a piece of paper or on the thank you note. And I opened one today and I, she actually glitter bombed me today. I opened it and the front of the card had glitter all over it and it just went everywhere. And I was, right before I started preaching tonight, I was in the bathroom trying to rub glitter off my face. So if you see any shiny specks on my face, you can blame Miss Marlis. But I'm happy to wear glitter because it's from Miss Gar- Marlis. She, she's a blessing to me. Texts and calls can do the same for somebody else. You say, I'm just not very good at writing. Well, you can, you can send a quick text. You can write a quick note. I know you can. You can put something in the mail to somebody that you haven't seen in a while just to encourage them. We need it for each other right now. Just a quick text, just a word of encouragement, a phone call, a note, and, a, and a, it will mean something. It will stand out in a world full of angry words. But those that are without need it too. All they hear is the news and the headlines and the boiling anger of politicians. Your words can make a big difference with your neighbor right now. Your words can make a big difference with your co-worker right now. If they will hear some seasoned speech, something seasoned with grace from somebody that goes to Eastside Baptist Church, it's going to stand out right now. Grace refers not only to the manner of speech, but also to the words we use and the subject. Make spiritual things a topic of conversation. I'm thinking about in homes, parents, our children take note of what we talk about. Use the extra time if you have it at home to to have spiritual conversations. Season your speech with grace. Especially right now when there's extra time at home. And you might be more inclined to be impatient with each other. No, have a filter, a grace filter that kicks on. So no, would that be seasoned with grace? Seasoned with salt, he says in, in, in verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. When we speak with grace, it has the same effect that salt has on food. And we use a lot of salt at our house. You put salt on meat to make it more acceptable and savory. But grace does the same with our speech. You put salt on meat to preserve it and keep it from rotting and becoming impure. Well, grace keeps the lips of believers from speaking in a way that's impure or corrupt. We all need a grace filter before we say anything. Ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it the right subject? Is it, are they sweet words? Will it bring joy? And here's why, that ye may know how to, ye ought to answer every man, he says in verse 6. One way to make the gospel more effective is not just that we use the right tone, or that, but that we have the right answers. Now, here's a good way to redeem your time. I was reading um, about a, a Bible college that has put their apologetics course online for people to take for free right now. I think that's a great idea. You can redeem your time by becoming more familiar with this book right now. How acquainted are you with God's truth? 
Do you know why you, what you believe and why you believe it? How much time have you spent in God's Word in recent weeks? In my opinion, we should be spending more and more time in God's Word because we need Him especially more right now. Things are so different. Our time in the Word is not expendable, folks. And we often think, well, if something comes up, I'll just... I'll do it later. Or if I'm tired, I'll figure it out another time. Or if I run out of time, I'll squeeze it in. No, our mindset should be, if I'm not in God's word, I can't be right with God. If I'm not in the word, I can't have an answer to those around me that are searching for answers. If I'm not in God's word, I'm not walking in wisdom. Thus, I'm wasting my time instead of redeeming it. There are no exceptions for me to not be in God's word. How am I going to have an answer to those that ask questions if I don't even know God's truth, because Paul says that ye may know that how ye ought to answer every man. Do you have those answers? Who's going to open this book and preach the gospel if not us? Who's going to answer the tough questions if we can't? Who's going to be the voice of reason in a time of chaos if not those that trust and believe God's word? The only way to answer every man is to love and know this book. It has the answers. Do you know them? So Paul gives us this simple outline. Pray expectantly. Walk carefully. Speak deliberately. These are ways to help the effect of the gospel. This has come to my mind this week, especially because of something that happened in our neighborhood. I think it was, I believe it was Friday, we were at home and we were just having some time at home and we hear a fire truck and we hear ambulance sirens and, and we're kind of figure, trying to figure out what's going on. One of the kids said, um, there's the emergency vehicles parked right in front of, the, of our house. So of course we go to the front of the house and look through the blinds and there's a truck and, and uh, there's an ambulance and there's it's a hazmat truck. And, and they stopped right in front of our house, directly across the street from our house, or in the middle of the street, I should say, right in front of our house. And guys, people start getting out, emergency workers, and they're dressed in hazmat suits. Head to toe, everything completely covered. Out of the back of the ambulance, they roll this, this stretcher, and, and we look across the street, and our neighbor across the street, it's a man that has come out, and he's got a mask on, and he's sitting on the bench, and was on his front porch, and he's just waiting for the, the emergency workers to come up to him. And they come up again. They're completely in hazmat suits, completely covered from head to toe. And they're talking to him and, and asking him a few questions. And while they're talking to him, the, the, the ambulance, the EMT workers, they come up with the, the stretcher, and they pull it right up to the porch. And after just a couple of questions, they take the, our neighbor, they place him, or he, they ask him to get on the stretcher, he gets on the stretcher, he lays down, and they put him on the stretcher, roll it back to the ambulance, put it in the back of the ambulance, and all the trucks and workers and everybody load back up, and, they, and they're gone within five minutes. Our, our neighbor to the left of us, they're related. These, this man that, that was across the street, he's from Nepal. And we have neighbors to uh, the north of us, and they're from Nepal. They're related to him, and one of the little boys told our kids that that they took him away because they think he has coronavirus. You know, I was sitting there watching this 
whole thing unfold. And, and as they were putting him on the stretcher and wheeling him out to the, to the emergency vehicle, I was looking through the glass window of the front door, that storm door, and his wife was just standing there watching helplessly as they took her husband away. And I also know he has a teenage son, and I, don't, I didn't see the son, but, but I know they're probably both extremely fearful right now. I don't know what his condition is. I don't know if he's okay. I don't know how serious it was. But listen, in my mind, the whole time that I was thinking or watching him being taken away, I was thinking, I've talked to him. But I've never shared the gospel with this man yet. And I don't know his condition. But it opened my eyes to the urgency and the importance of redeeming the time because tomorrow's not guaranteed. We have a window, a slice of time in which God has asked us to redeem it. God has asked us to do the work of the gospel. And for us to ignore the window, to ignore the opportunity, is to ignore our highest calling to present the gospel. Have you taken for granted the opportunities to share the gospel. The doors that have been opened have largely closed, but if we love people the way God does, then circumstances won't stop our pursuit of souls. Paul, his answer to closed doors was not to stop, it was to continue to pray expectantly and to walk carefully and to speak deliberately. His focus was prayer and conduct and words. So simple, it's so difficult at times. Eastside Baptist Church, closed doors don't mean we're no longer accountable. Closed doors no longer mean we're no longer responsible. If we're to redeem our time and make the best use of this window of time, we should pray expectantly and walk carefully and speak deliberately. Do the things we can. And if we do, I believe that God will open gospel doors and I believe he'll bless us with more opportunities later so I close with this statement and that is use the doors in front of you and God will open more walk through the doors in front of you and God will open more and you say well there's not much I can do you can pray expectantly you can walk carefully and, and you can speak deliberately. It's time for us to get back to the roots of what makes us God's people. And that is a concern and love for lost souls. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. I would encourage you tonight, if you have lost sight of the importance of using the gospel, making it more effective reaching people in your neighborhoods and in, your, in places of employment and the places that you go to, to shop. I mean, using the opportunities that you have, the doors that have been opened. Maybe you've let some doors close that you took for granted. Yes, it's not as easy as it used to be. And maybe that's an eye-opening experience for us now. It's a wake-up call. And when things get back to some kind of normal, we're going to be first in line. Say, listen, the gospel work doesn't end just because I'm complacent. Maybe it's time to get back 
to the focus of souls and presenting the gospel and praying for it and living right and speaking correctly. I don't know how God may have worked through this truth in you tonight, but maybe it's time for, to be conf- for us to be confronted with whether or not we're redeeming the time when it comes to the gospel. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.